this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. It's the Pittsburgh Oddcast. Welcome everybody back to the Pittsburgh Oddcast. My name is Andrew Lindbergh, and with me as always is the founder of the Odd, Mysterious, and Fascinating History of Pittsburgh, John Chalkowski. Well, hello everyone. So today we have a very special guest with us, and that is Greg Brown of the Pittsburgh Pirates Organization. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of broadcasting baseball. Because the not only is it the the Pirates organization that we're talking about, but we're really talking about the origin of the word broadcasting to begin with. So that's how deep this is getting. Um, the anniversary of that actual first game, August 5th, 1921, was one of the most revolutionary things to ever happen, really, in modern technology and radio and in sports history. And it occurred right here in Pittsburgh with Harold Arlen on August 5th, 1921, the very first game ever called play-by-play and they didn't even know what that was (laughs) which was the most fascinating story and how that evolved to what it is today and there really is nobody better to ask than the voice of the pirates today uh greg brown and from my generation i mean you were our voice of the pirates still are uh i don't really remember a time where i don't remember your voice so it's uh, an honor to be here with you and to talk baseball and how you got just into the game. So I know you're not from Pittsburgh, and but what's your kind of association with Pittsburgh and your early you know, remembering of uh, Pittsburgh baseball and what draw you to here? Well, John, first of all, thanks for the honor of suggesting that I would uh, be the best person. I think you're better to talk about the history of uh, Pittsburgh broadcasting than I. But, uh, yeah, Harold Arlen, as you said, goes back to 1921. And um, I mentioned you guys off off the podcast that actually had the opportunity to speak to his grandson, Steve Arlen, about maybe three years ago. He pitched for the San Diego Padres in the early 70s. Now imagine that. Imagine Steve Arlen coming back to Pittsburgh and pitching against the Pirates, and his grandfather revolutionized sports broadcasting. Uh, it, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, the, the history for me in Pittsburgh goes back, way back, because before I was born, uh, my father was uh, born and raised in Connellsville. My mother born and raised in Greensburg. Uh, my mother's father, my grandfather, uh, was a congressman in the Greensburg area for maybe 20 years. Big family, they moved to D.C. Uh, that's where my mom and dad were married. They had seven kids. I was the youngest of six boys, and we had a baby sister. We moved out of there uh, late 60s, I guess 1969, when uh, race riots were occurring all over the country. And my dad up and moved the, the family, uh, six boys and a baby girl, to uh, the Harrisburg area. Uh, he was in the coal business, a lobbyist, and he still had business in Pittsburgh. So anyway... That's a long-winded version to tell you about how my Pittsburgh roots uh, go back to to that time because he would annually take me on a business trip to Pittsburgh. I was probably um, 
maybe 10 years old, the first trip we made. It was an annual thing. He would, we would, the old Hilton Hotel at the point, mm-hmm. he would book a room for a couple nights. And it, this is remarkable to think about, but he would leave like on a Monday morning. We went, say, on a Sunday night. On a Monday morning, he would actually leave me in the lobby of this hotel by myself and go off to meetings in downtown Pittsburgh for like the entire day. <laughs> but there was a man named Mr. Seminatory that I'll never forget. I could, if he walked through this door right now, I could point him out to you. The kindest man, and I'm sure my dad tipped him, but this, this Mr. Seminatory was a bellman. And he would kind of watch over this little kid run around the lobby of the Pittsburgh Hilton gathering autographs of the visiting teams. The visiting teams playing the Pirates would stay at the, at the Hilton Hotel. Uh, and so every year we'd, we'd make this trip. By the way, Mr. Seminatory, when I got this job in 1994, his son reached out to me and said his father was ill and uh, I think passed away a few weeks later. I never got a chance to, I, but I did tell his son, I said, please thank your father for raising a pirate fan. Right. So uh, it goes all the way back to, to, to that time. And uh, I still have fond memories. I took my son about two weeks ago a little tour of Pittsburgh. He's now a freshman in college and took him uh, around town. And I showed him where I thought maybe a couple of times where the room was at the Pittsburgh Hilton and pointed up to it. And I, I remember leaning a, my face on the glass at night, staring down lovingly at the, the, the three river stadium lights that were on as they were cleaning up the stadium and looking through that glass of our hotel room, 15 stories up, looking down at this, what I thought, I, I, I called Pittsburgh my Oz. When my father drove me through the Screw Hill tunnels, and I looked up through the car windows, and I looked up at these huge buildings in my mind, these skyscrapers, I, I was in love with the city of Pittsburgh. I, I absolutely fell in love with it. I felt like this is where I belong, this is my home. And, uh, and I did the same thing, like I said, when leaning a, a, against the glass window of our uh, hotel room, looking down at that stadium. I just absolutely loved it, fell in love with the Pirates. So when did you decide that you wanted to be a broadcaster and that the Pirates was what you wanted to do? Because I know you spent time in Buffalo as well where you broadcasted for the Bills. Yeah, so Andy, I, uh, so I grew up a Pirate fan in central Pennsylvania, Mechanicsburg, and I did, again, these annual trips. Uh, and as I told you guys off the podcast, I was a horrible student. Going back to high school, I, I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. I loved sports. I loved them all. Uh, was not good enough to play uh, other than, you know, high school intramurals, basically, but played them all. And my, my buddies to this day in Harrisburg will tell you that I was a kid who, obnoxious kid, who would not only play it, but each sport, but I would announce the game as it was going on. So if, uh, if my opponent, you know, if, if I were guarding a guy as I, I was a defensive back and I got burned, I would actually say, oh, Brown gets burned, and there goes McHale, 10-5, touchdown McHale. I would do it in basketball. Uh, uh, Fensel with a, whoa, what a shot by Fensel. And so I would do this constantly as a kid, uh, realizing – uh, you know, I don't know when I had, had to admit that I couldn't play professionally. I actually checked out Robert Morris's baseball team out of high school. My mom took me on a trip to, to Robert Morris. We started visiting colleges, and, I mean, there's no way. I, I, our, our high school, Trinity High School in Sharmanstown, Pennsylvania, didn't have a baseball team. I played Legion ball. It does now. I tell kids now back in, when I go back there, I said, man, you know how lucky you are? You, had a, you have a baseball team. Uh, 
so I went to uh, a community college in Harrisburg, again, not knowing what the heck I wanted to do. Ended up getting the, the internship at the Pirates, uh, and so transferred then to, actually for one semester, uh, went to uh, ACC, and then went to Point Park. And uh, as I was going along, I got to know people in the Pirate front office. I interned. I got a full-time job there. I did everything, promotion, sales, PR. I was like the handyman. I did spun records during games. I, I did the video. I, I used to edit videos when we got the video scoreboard, uh, directed some games dur- during uh, Pirate Games at Three River Stadium, did absolutely everything imaginable. I don't know if there was a job. I was a mailman uh, for the front office. I, I don't know that there was a job, honest to goodness, that I didn't do. And in, in fact, in 1979, after that season, my internship was up, and the VP of operations called me from Harrisburg. I was bummed out because I was done. He says, hey, we need somebody to be a clubhouse kid down in Bradenton for the Instructional League. I jumped at that. So it was the hardest thing I had to do. For a couple months, we had the Pirate Instructional League, we had the Yankees, and we had Japanese teams. And I, so I was the clubhouse kid for all three teams. And I did that, and then uh, when that was up, I went back home for half of November and all of December. I thought I was pretty much done and was going to just have to go back to looking for, for work as I was going to Point Park. And I got a call the second week of January asking if I wanted to, to hook on full-time. And, of course, I did as a promotions assistant. They created the job of, of uh, broadcast coordinator, liaison between KDK Radio, the flagship, and 40 network stations. And I was the go-between because we never had that before. Uh, the, the radio network stations, when they had a complaint of any kind or needed something, they would try to call Harry O'Toole, who was the executive producer of KDK Radio and Pirate Baseball. And Harry had a thousand other things to do. So I was uh, called upon to, to, again, be liaison. I started writing commercials, producing them. I eventually did some voiceover work, got to know Lanny, uh, Jim Rooker, and uh, Lanny always told me that if I ever wanted to become a major league broadcaster, I was going to have to go to the minor leagues. And after 10 years of being in the front office and doing everything imaginable, uh, an opportunity came up to do minor league baseball. And I tell people that I did the opposite of what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go from the minors to the majors. I went from the majors to the minors without a safety net. There's no guarantee that I would ever be back. Uh, So I left, I cut the umbilical cord and went to Buffalo and broadcast not just minor league baseball, but I did the other sports. I did basketball. I did some hockey, uh, and then got a job as a color analyst for the Buffalo Bills, and did that, and went to four straight Super Bowls. Wow. And when and when I got that Bills, I applied for the first time. They they let John Sanders go in Pittsburgh, and so I was gone for one year, and I was convinced. This is how egotistical I was and am uh, that. I'm the guy. John Sanders is gone. I'm the. I'm. I'm sure I should. I should be the broadcaster. I applied, got rejected, and then uh, four years later, they made another change. I applied and I got the job when they let Kent Dirtavanis go. I um, will do some research on you. I see that you were a backup. Not only were you doing everything else, and all. I mean, that was incredible how you worked. Literally everything, because it showed that you really cared and you really. You know, wanted to be part of the organization, and it's clear. 
that you were even a backup pirate parent. So is that true? Well, that's actually how I landed the job. That's the long story. But So a kid out of high school in my first year of community college taking just liberal arts classes, just trying to get a degree just any way I can. I just, again, I didn't know what I wanted. I knew I loved sports. I knew I loved – I had two loves <laughs> – uh, I was a tip. I was a really big time nerd, and I, you know, people wondered about me because I, I never went to my high school prom. Very shy, um, didn't really date much. Um, I, I didn't hang out, you know, with the, the, I, I hung out with a handful of nerds, um, at loving sports and and everything about it. And so, my but my two loves were the Pittsburgh Pirates in the summer, and the Chicago Bears in the winter. And that's all I cared about. It, 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 nothing else mattered in my life. And uh, so I, when I could, I, um, during my off-school hours, summer, summer, you know, spring, nighttime, KDK, turn that on. In the winter, I would try and pick up WBBM in Chicago, which was impossible. Even though it was a 50,000 watt, it was just, it, 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 I rarely got it in. On occasion, if the Bears played at 4 o'clock, I could hear toward the end of the game. It's very scratchy. But my hero was Walter Payton growing up. Um, I subscribed to the uh, – was it Doug Buffone, I believe, was a, a linebacker for the Bears. And he had a, a, a bi-monthly newspaper. And I tell people, I, I, I ran to the – our, our uh, mailbox was probably 200 yards away. We grew up in the country, Mechanicsburg. And – so I, 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 every day, I could not wait. And so well, like, this is the thing about it, Andy and John. What I can never, ever, never will, no one will ever convince, I don't understand this idea that when the pirates are losing, you abandon ship. That doesn't I make, it, it, yeah. can, I, it cannot comprehend it. Now, of course you want them to win. Of course. But I grew up, again, I grew up a Chicago Bears fan. And go back and look mm-hmm. at the teams that I rooted for. This is when they were only 14 games on the schedule mm-hmm. i'm not exaggerating they would win two games a year three maybe four never ever could possibly think about reaching the playoffs uh that's why 1985 was so great when they finally busted out and uh but but every week i could not wait till the bears game maybe by luck by chance cbs would carry them as a game of the week at one one or four o'clock on a rare instance i would say so the, the fact that they were a terrible team all those years had no bearing on my love of the team. Mm-hmm. And the same is true with the Pirates. There were times when the Pirates weren't any good. Uh, but but I, so I, I cannot comprehend it. it. It angers me, to be honest with you. Yeah. you. You're not a fan. You're not a fan. Now, of course, we'll accept all bandwagon jumpers, and we have over the years as as the team has gone through a playoff run. Uh, but But – don't don't come and tell me that you don't like the team because they're losing. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I I think as a lifelong Pirate fan, I jumped on when they won three straight divisions and then was there for the, the 20 years and had my ups and downs. But the satisfaction I had in 2013 when Andrew McCutcheon put his hands up in the air in Chicago, that was when they – it was not going to be a losing season. And then they clinched the playoff spot. I, I was crying because I had listened – all those years, and, you know, the Pirates are struggling right now um, in 2019. And I still, and I will admit, sometimes after I hear a three-run homer or something from a, the opposing player, I'm like, ah, and I'll turn it off for a second just so I can compose myself. But I turn it back on, and, you know, I'm back there. Because if it's 7 nothing, it's not over yet. 
it's not over yet. Well, yeah, and that's the whole thing. And and, and uh, you know, late thinking back when I became a pirate fan, there were pretty good teams back in those days. But but those annual trips I would take with my father. You know, I don't remember. In fact, I would see the Pirates in Pittsburgh, but my buddies all grew up Philly fans because that's Philly's country and Orioles. So we'd go to see more. We'd go to Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. Most of the time we'd go to the vet in Philadelphia. I'd see Philly games. And when we could, one of the guy's parents would drive us to see the Phillies and the Pirates. And as I you know, recall, it seemed to me like the Phillies won more times than not. And, you know, I was downtrodden on the drive back to Pittsburgh, the two-hour drive from uh, to Harrisburg from Philadelphia, uh, but it didn't cross my mind again to abandon ship. And so, the, the the point of my fandom was that I was so obsessed with the, these teams that even in the winter time, at night when I get home from school, high school, I would go into my room, and I would turn on. I in fact, my mother she passed away a couple of years ago, but. She moved uh, to to uh, with with my sister a few years ago, and and she still had the radio that I listened to, the transistor radio. She goes, "You may want this." So I've actually kept that because it was that radio that I would tune to in on winter nights, just so I could somehow have a connection to the city of Pittsburgh. And my connection was KDKA. Uh, I felt like that was my bond. When I turned on that radio, part of me was in Pittsburgh, so I, I could feel like I knew it was going on in Pittsburgh just by listening to Trish Beatty, to uh, John Cigna, Perry Marshall, um, Roy Fox, whoever that might be. Every, every day, those were, that, those were my friends. And one night, uh, I think it might have been Roy Fox, in fact, w- was traveling with the Pirate Caravan in, caravan in Johnstown, PA, and they were interviewing some pirates, but they were interviewing the director of promotion, Steve Shanwald, about what to anticipate for 1979. And he said, "Well, we're going to unveil a mascot. Uh, we're we're having and and uh, the San Diego Chicken, I think, was maybe in its infancy, maybe three or four years. The Fanatic maybe had been a year. So the Pirates were one of the early ones to jump on board with a, a mascot. And he mentioned we're going to call it the Pirate Parrot." And we're going to take all, you know, we're going to interview, and boy, that's all I needed to hear. And I sat down and I wrote this long letter, Dear Mr. Shanwald, your search ends right here, right now. I am your man. Because I would have been a peanut vendor at the River Stadium, anything. And uh, there was a long process, that's a story in itself, but long story shorter uh, is that I ended up getting becoming the backup pirate parrot you know within kdk it's you know you mentioned kdk and their history and the fact that they even coined the word broadcast and play by play um with, with first doing a boxing game was the first thing that kdk did uh live on the air and then you know baseball everything came afterwards and it was sporadic at first you know until rosie rosewell took it over in 1936 i think it was and uh and continue, continued that long tradition and um and describing for fans that you know couldn't be at the game you know to turn them into loyal listeners for life um is how would you help as a as a broadcaster facilitate and uh, i know as far as like i have a neighbor who is no matter what that game is on you know and no matter what if we win that jolly rogers it's Uh, in front of his house every single time you know and i always think about you know that what you say you know so but 
what were some of your favorite um, broadcasters growing up leading into Bob Prince, you know, the legendary Bob Prince of the Pittsburgh Pirates and, and some of the other people that you've worked with or even had an opportunity to meet? And... So, yeah, uh, I became a fan, actually. I don't recall much of, of Bob Prince. I really became a fan of the Pirates, a fanatic, crazed with Lanny Frateri and Milo Hamilton. They were, and they were the guys that replaced Prince and Nellie King. So I got to know Nellie. I got to know Prince later. Um, in fact, ironic twist, uh, years later, I was actually, this is when the, the team was kind of up for sale. I was the right-hand man to the VP of marketing, Steve Greenberg. And he and I were in a, a, an office at Three River Stadium when uh, Rick Starr, the general manager of, the, of KDK Radio, and Chris Cross, a program director, presented this idea, and I, I remember getting chills. They said, we're, we, we're, we've got an idea for you guys. We want to bring back Bob Prince to do some games. And my jaw dropped because he had been fired for years. We were still taking the heat. And Steve Greenberg and I talked about We went to Joe Brown, who was involved in the original firing, and we had to clear it through him. And so we, I was kind of part of the decision, and, and Lanny, uh, of, of bringing him back, and that's when he got sick. He had the throat cancer and passed away a short time later. So uh, it, it, it's just bizarre, the stuff that, that went on and the ties and, and, and feeling like it really is. I'm really such a part. I really do feel grounded in the city and, and the team. And, but when I grew up, so I grew up as a fan of Milo Hamilton and Lanny Frateri, and I used to listen to those guys. I used to listen to Harry Gallas of the Philadelphia Phillies and Byram Sam and uh, boy, Mr. Belanger, you are good. Chuck Thompson of the Baltimore Orioles here, very professional. But Milo Hamilton, bro, I want to tell you something. I would uh, try and interview him, and holy Toledo! And uh, and and, and uh, hello, friends. This is Lanny Frateri, uh, the Buckos, uh, the Buckos uh, in the Philadelphia Phillies. Here we are from Chicago, and uh, the Pirates and the uh, and the Chicago Cubs. Uh, and so I would, you know, again, impersonate all the broadcasters uh, that I would listen to and constantly do that. And I remember vividly as a fan, my knees were shaking outside gate A of Three River Stadium the day Lanny Frateri walked out. I had, I had this pad, you know, of getting all the pirate player autographs and visitors. And he came out and my knees were shaking. I said, Mr. Frateri, he couldn't have been nicer as he signed his autograph. And then I remember meeting, as a member of the front office, Milo Hamilton came into this office, and I'm an intern, and he comes walking in, and he's bigger than life. <laughs> hey, Pally! You know, and, and then as the years went on, here I become a broadcaster, and Milo would come into the booth, and he and I would talk, and it just, it's, it's so, so surreal. That, that word, I think, is overused, but I can tell you, what I went through, total, total surreal, uh, w- getting to meet these guys, and then working with them and uh, working for them and then becoming kind of a colleague and a friend. Harry Callis, who passed away several years ago, I hated the Phillies. In fact, one of the, one of the, one of the reasons I am told I became a finalist for the job of Pirate Parrot, one of the judges told me, Paula Smith, who is married to Evan Paddock, who Evan is an official scorer these days, but Paula Smith was a longtime writer, sports writer for the uh, Post-Gazette. She said, when you walked in with that I Hate the Phillies t-shirt, I wore that to my interview. She said, that, first of all, that, that broke me up, but then my routine. Uh, so I hated the Phillies. But 
man, I, I had to listen to those Philly games because they came in clearly, obviously, in Harrisburg and, and, and got to know Harry and impersonated him. And I got to know Harry. Harry would call me because he got to know a, a woman um, in Pittsburgh, Judy Horn, who I have stayed in touch with and friends with. She um, has some disabilities, but uh, she she's a true and true pirate fan. But Harry would give her so much grief anytime the Phillies would come to town. He would call me, and and I still I for years I left the message after he passed away because again talk about surreal. Harry Callis is calling me on my phone. He left him. Greg, this is Harry Callis. Ah. Uh, Judy Horn called me. She's going to be at the ball game tonight. Would you mind stopping in and saying hello? Uh, 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 uh. And uh, so I got to know Judy through Harry and, and um, again, impersonated all these guys. And then it, tried my best, John, not like you, uh, to, 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 to know the history. Of the, I'd you know, love to really learn the history of the, the city. Uh, and Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh sports broadcasting, but I've done my best to do that, to kind of carry that torch because I know how important it is because going back to uh, Harold Arlen and, and the, the lineage of the different people that were behind the microphone, Bing Crosby would sit in with, with, as you know, with Bob Prince and, and Rosie. Uh, He was a part owner of the team. Uh, A lot of people people don't know that. Right. Yeah. Um, Joe E. Brown. People think that I, because of my name, they think that, I was given, and I love the fact that I can tell people that I clean jock straps, uh, toilets down in Bradenton, Florida. So don't tell me it doesn't take hard work because I did that, and I wouldn't have traded that for anything in the world. Going back to the minor league days and, 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 and literally carrying the equipment up flights of rickety steps and so on. Um, but, but Joe E. Brown was a comedian back in the 40s. And, and, and his connection to Bing Crosby, then his son becomes the general manager, Joe L. Brown. Um, again, not related to me at all, but, but the tie-in to, to Hollywood and Bing Crosby and, and uh, again, Joe E. Brown. And, uh, heck, locally, Paul Long was a, was a newscaster. He would sit in and do some pirate broadcasts. So it, 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 it's a long, long history of, of pirate broadcast. Oh, my. Hearing Paul Long do a... Because everybody had, let's look at that play-by-play. Oh, right. play. On WTAE, this is Paul Long. Everybody has to have their own Paul Long yeah, yeah, impressions. Yeah. Your story is very similar, I think, to a lot of people that are people that are obsessed with broadcasting in the, in the radio. When I was little, I got to meet Jim Crenn at Three River Stadium oh, wow. for the first time, and I had never, I'd never been more nervous to meet a per- anybody in my life. I was sh- literally shaking. You were nice enough to... Um, get my mom and Steve Blast to meet for the first time, my mom being a lifelong Steve Blast fan. And when you came out of the elevator, I still, my heart skipped a little bit because you, I've been listening to you since 1994. So the people, it's nice to hear that Lanny did that to you and other people. And now you're kind enough to meet people and say hello, but it's still like, holy cow, that's the guy that's my connection to the Pirates at night. And, and I, Andy, I tell you, I, it's really hard for me to separate myself because I, I know that and I sometimes I, I heck today at Giant Eagle uh, and I'm not saying this to for an ego boost believe me I'm not but I, I'm, I'm checking out and 
some gentleman yells, Greg Brown. And I turn, I go, like, do I know this guy? And he kind of just walks up. He shakes my hand. He goes, I know some people don't like being noticed, but I just saw you back there at the cereal aisle, and I now, and I see you checking out now, and I just want to say hi. And, 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 and it's really, really difficult for me to separate myself and understand that there is that, that how important that is. Um, but I'm still, I still think of myself as the guy that my knees are shaking getting Lanny for Terry's autograph and meeting Milo Hamilton, not anybody thinking the same of me as you or others might. But, but I understand that, that that happens, even though I, I don't get that from me, from Greg Brown. I don't see nobody should be shaking thinking that way of Greg Brown, let's put it that way. Well, I think that's I a that's good, humble yeah. no, way to look true. at it. But, but so then 20 years later, Jim Crenn walks in and works briefly with Larry and John and I on Fridays. And so... Here I am working with a guy that had made, never made me. This is coming from a guy that met Weird Al Yankovic, and I was okay when I met him. <laughs> well, I guess it's, if, I guess it, it teaches us all. It's a good lesson in, you know, whenever you meet anybody in your life, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, treat them kindly. I think that's a, a good lesson for all of us. And we're going to stop the conversation right there for now. Next week we'll pick up with part two of our sit down with Greg Brown. Also, we'll be getting to your listener questions. John has been getting quite a few, and he's compiling them. And we will begin answering those questions shortly. So until further ado, that's it for Pitt.